Okay, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, we started, if you remember, your divisions of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were considered what? Law. Law, very good, Seth. All right, then we moved into... Uh, <laughs> yeah, very good. See, I, I actually gave him a compliment tonight. There you go. Uh, then the next section we moved into, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all considered what? History. History, yes. Uh, then we moved into Job, which we said was a transitional book, Job, and then Psalms. And so this section, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, known as? Poetry, yes. Now within poetry, the, we come to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are considered wisdom literature. Okay, So they fall within that realm of the writings or the poetry of the Old Testament. But these three books specifically are entitled wisdom literature. Now, uh, trick question, Seth. Who do you think wrote, now listen very carefully, who do you think wrote... Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. <laughs> Solomon, very good. Okay, yes. Uh, Solomon is considered to be the author of all three of these books. And uh, we call them wisdom literature. And we would assume that Solomon would be the one to write this because Solomon was considered to be the wisest man to have lived. Remember back in his day, uh, God came to him and he asked him, what do you want? And Solomon said, I desire wisdom. And God said, well, you could have chose money or wealth or fame and all these things, uh, but you chose the best thing. You chose wisdom, and so I'm going to give you wisdom. And also, because you chose the right thing, I'm going to add all these other things onto it as well. And so uh, it's by no surprise that Solomon would be the one to write these. Now, I have, if you hopefully have your Bibles open, uh, several places, or three places in each of these books, well, one place in each book, uh, that talks about the wisdom of these books. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge, and discretion. So there he talks about that. If you flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Okay, so uh, many say that this is actually a reflection to the fact that Solomon wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes because he's the one that we know from Proverbs chapter 1 that says these are the Proverbs of Solomon. And here it says that the preacher uh, sought out and set in order many Proverbs. Okay, and then you go over to Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 1. And here he says the Song of Songs which is Solomon's. And the idea there is this is uh, not just a song, but this is the song of all songs. This is the best song ever written. All right? If you can think of your favorite song, this song is even greater than that. Okay? Seth, what's your favorite song? Remember, you're sitting next to your mom in church, so you, know, you better not say anything by like... 
Okay, Beyonce or anything. Okay, all right, so just gonna not say anything. Okay, uh, but yeah, Song of Solomon, and so there he says this is, uh, and nowhere it doesn't say talk about wisdom per se, but what he's saying is that this is the best song that was ever written. Okay, and so the wisdom that's involved in that. Now we come down here and just uh, by way of information as to how these books got their names, Proverbs comes from a Latin word that is proverba. And pro means in place of, or instead of, or before, and verba means words. It's where we get our word verb. Okay, uh, means words. Verba means words. So, words, yes. So if you put proverbs, proverba together, what you get is in place of words. And many times in proverbs, uh, the wisdom that he gives us is to sometimes just simply remain silent. Don't say anything. Okay, and he talks about sometimes the wise man's known because of his silence. Um, I can't remember who it was that said one time, <coughs> he said, it's, it's better off to be quiet and have people believe you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> okay, uh, and so, and sometimes you think about that. Think about uh, some of the quiet people that you know, they don't say anything, they just kind of sit and they watch and they listen to, and listen to what's going on. And uh, for all intents and purposes, most people think that they're very wise, okay, because they don't always say things. Uh, and, and also, I think it does go hand in hand. Somebody who observes a lot and listens a lot and doesn't talk quite as much, uh, they're able to think and to ponder and reflect on things, okay? And so when they do say something, then it's very profound and very wise typically. Uh, uh, if you, how many of you have re read the book uh, um, and his name just slipped my mind too. Um, Experiencing God. Anybody ever read that book? Experiencing God? Okay. Uh, Beth and I were at a uh, conference over at Ridgecrest, I was going to say several years ago, but a long time ago. Yeah, so more than 16 years ago. Um, and Henry Blackaby was there. And it was a very small gathering of pastors. There really wasn't more than 50, 75 people there. And so when he was done speaking, like people would stand around and mingle around and talk. And you would expect a guy like Henry Blackaby, who speaks in front of thousands and thousands of people all the time, uh, would be very gregarious, very uh, talkative. But typically, he hardly said anything in like a, an informal setting. Um, and so I just say that by way of illustration about, uh, so here it says Proverbs that these are in place of words or instead of words, okay? Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word that's used here for the, the title of this book, Ecclesiastes, is one who speaks at an assembly. Okay, so that's the Hebrew translation, one who speaks at an assembly. Okay. Yeah, you have to write really little. Yeah, really little. I'm on to Ecclesiastes. One who speaks in an assembly. And then the Greek word for Ecclesiastes is translated preacher. Okay, so you can see how both of those kind of go in hand in hand. I think I've got an extra pen. I just decided. I do not have any. 
There's a pencil. Oh, there's some pens in there. Okay, and then we come to Song of Solomon, and uh, the, the actual title of that is not Song of Solomon. We, that's kind of our English title, but the, the actual title of Song of Solomon is Song of Songs. Okay, uh, and that is the finest of all songs, and we already saw that in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. Now this is wisdom literature, and so in each of these books, there's a comparison and a contrast between two words. Okay, when we come to Proverbs, the comparison and the contrast is between wisdom and foolishness. Okay, uh, many times in Proverbs it says here, wisdom acts like this and foolishness acts like this. Uh, and throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom and foolishness are both personified as women. Okay, uh, and he talks about wisdom in a female vernacular, and he talks about foolishness from a female vernacular, and so uh, personifies them both as women. And typically, the uh, wisdom is seen as a chaste woman, a woman who is faithful, a woman who uh, guards her heart and her life. And foolishness is always seen as uh, a woman who is a seductress, uh, sometimes uh, seen as a prostitute. Uh, a woman who is unfaithful. And so that's how he personifies wisdom and foolishness. Uh, when I was in college, I had to write a paper on the comparison and contrast of wisdom and foolishness. And while I was preparing for this class, I actually still have that in my file, and I pulled it out. And the title of that paper was uh, Madame Wisdom and Dame Folly is the name of the paper that I gave. And so that's the idea here is that wisdom is seen as a very uh, upright, a very proper woman, and foolishness is always seen as, a, uh, you know, as I said, a, a seductress, a woman of the night, a woman that typically you wouldn't want to have any association with. We come to Ecclesiastes, and the, the, the distinction, the comparison, the contrast that he uses there is meaning and vanity. Okay, and the whole search in that book of Ecclesiastes is he is searching for meaning. And throughout the first half of the book, as we're going to see, that first half of the book, he's searching for meaning and he keeps saying, it's just all vain. It's vanity of vanities. It, it, do, it just doesn't make any difference and it makes no sense and it's just useless and it's just vain. It's empty. Okay, and then as we see, as we're going to see in the last half of that book, he says, yes, here's where you find meaning in life. Okay, and then finally, Song of Solomon uh, now, we don't see really the comparison, so I'm, I'm kind of stretching this. But the comparison contrast here is the intimacy and distance. Okay? Distance. Distance. So, uh, intimacy and distance. On one hand, either you're going to be intimate. On the other hand, you're going to be distant. Distance. Distance. In intimacy and distance for Song of Solomon. Okay, and Song of Solomon, uh, again, as we're going to see, is a beautiful uh, love story with King Solomon and many believe in his younger age with uh, maybe his first love because we know that later on in Solomon's life he had many foreign wives and concubines and all this. And so many believe that that was written prior to uh, him getting older and making some unwise uh, decisions in his life. So the outline of Proverbs, and hopefully 
hopefully you're in Proverbs because we are going to flip through and I want to read every single one of these verses that we have here, okay? Uh, because we all need wisdom, right? Outline of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 10, he gives advice for young people. Okay, so Seth, listen up. You're still a young person. Advice for young people. Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Have I had that one memorized? Anybody? You have it memorized, Seth? I remember the it before. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here he's telling uh, young people, and over and over again here in the first part of Proverbs, uh, Solomon writes, my son. He's, he's, he, it's wisdom that he's trying to pass on to his son. And so uh, in verse 8 he says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. And over and over again he uses that terminology here. If you flip over to chapter 2, verse 20. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. Okay, so he tells them, this is why I'm telling you all these things, so that when you, when you live your life, you will walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And uh, many times we memorize that with verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understandings. And then as a result of that, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Okay, chapter 4, verse 26. These are all great words of wisdom that you can pass on to your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. So he says, think about Think about the ways in which you're living your life and uh, think about how you're going to turn out. Over in chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. And uh, just to uh, preface this in verse 16, these are, it says the six things that the Lord hates. And so these are things that God hates. And so he's telling his son to stay away from those things. Over in chapter 7, uh, verses 15 to 27. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is gone, is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will be come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know would cost his life. 
Now therefore listen to me, my children, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And so here is, uh, you know, that personification of foolishness, and he says to stay away from her. If you look over in chapter 8, verse 11, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. And so, uh, just chasing after wisdom. Chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Uh, Again, the way of foolishness. Okay, uh, and then chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Again, there's the idea that the man who uh, doesn't speak, or the person who doesn't speak, is, is sometimes considered wise. So, uh, chapters 1 through 10 is advice for young people. Chapters 11 through 20, then, is advice for all people. Okay, chapter 11, verse 24. I just went through here and picked some out. Uh, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. And and I threw that in there because Pastor Jeremy was talking about today how the person who holds his hand closed, nothing can come in, but nothing can go out. And that's the idea that he says here. The one who scatters, he, he just throws everything he has, but yet it increases. And the one who holds his, holds tight, holds back, that ends up leading to poverty. And so the idea that God says here, if you're willing to give, and I know the math doesn't work because I'm a math teacher, okay? The math doesn't work. Like, if you get rid of what you have, you end up with more. But if you hold on to what you have, you're going to end up with less, is what he said. Okay? It doesn't make sense, but that's the wisdom of God. Okay? It doesn't make sense uh, even to the wise people. Uh, chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Okay? So the person who's going to seek out counsel instead of just simply going his own way is going to receive wisdom. Chapter 13, verse 5. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Okay? Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. As the administrator of a school, I have learned the truth of that verse. I have people come into my office on a, well, I won't say all the time, but on a consistent basis, and they're just ready to eat. What's that? But he's not there anymore. (laughs) Uh, 
but come in and they're just right out of the gate, just ready to pounce on me and yell and complain about something, okay? And many times I just say, well, let's stop right there. Let's pray first. And so very gently and very calmly I pray. And while I'm praying out loud, in my mind I'm praying, Lord, please don't let me lose my cool, okay? <laughs> and, and so I'll have people yell at me, but I've learned that if I do not raise my voice back and just remain calm and offer a very soft-spoken answer, it diffuses the whole situation. And I'm sure you've learned that in your own personal life, that when somebody yells at you and you yell back, they yell louder, then you yell louder, and it just becomes this, this cycle that really has no end, and then eventually, you know, one of two things happens. Either, you know, you begin to lay hands on each other, not in the biblical sense, uh, or you just simply walk away from each other, and there's really been no resolution. Uh, and so the wisdom of God here, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, And you may experience this in your own personal married life. Like, you know, you get angry and then if you don't check yourself, you're going to say something typically that you're going to regret. And then you have to come back and apologize and for saying that. But here he says, just try to have a soft answer and it's going to turn away wrath. Okay, uh, so 15 chapter 1, go to chapter 16 verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Chapter 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Of course, we know in a spiritual sense that is Christ, but I'll tell you what, I have a best friend who is closer to me than my own brother. Okay, So I don't think that's just in a, in a spiritual sense, because if you look at verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Okay, And then the person who is a good friend, in turn, is going to have a good friend back. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Some of these just don't need any explanation, right? Um, I don't know why I have 11. I think that's supposed to be 21-26, not 11-26. Yeah, 21-26. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. And then uh, chapter 20, am I going back again? Chapter 20, verse 7. Yeah. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. And so there you can see that uh, living wisely leaves a legacy for those afterwards. And then the third part of Proverbs is advice for all rulers. For the last ten, 10 chapters, 21 to 31. For all rulers. All rulers. Rulers. Yes. So, 21-23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. <laughs> um, anybody ever say anything you regretted afterwards? Mm -hmm. And it... <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> It's like uh, 
try to put toothpaste back in the tube. You cannot do it. Once the words are out there, you cannot, you can't go, oh, sorry, and suck them back in. It's already been out there, okay? And so, uh, uh, very wise there. Chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. It always reminds me of what my parents told me when I was a kid. We lived in a very small town of 300 some people and uh, um, there was a hang, we had a little grocery store in our little town and all the bad kids when I was growing up used to hang out in front of the store and my mom I remember as a little kid always told me when you get old enough I never want to catch you hanging outside this store or outside the store uh, I got a little bit older I started to drive and my parents would always remind me of this they would say now we don't have a whole lot I grew up on a farm and we didn't have a whole lot so they'd say we don't have a whole lot of money we don't have a whole lot of things but the one thing we do have is a good name in this town don't ruin that <laughs> okay and of course living in a small town everybody knew who my parents were so if I ever did anything wrong my parents probably usually found out before I even got home okay but I remember them telling me that so many times and that's what he says here a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches loving favor rather than gold uh, chapter 23 verse 31 Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Uh, go on to verse 32. And the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like the one who lies at the top of the mast saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I do not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Okay, uh, chapter 25, verse 24. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Nobody's making any noise on that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I have no problem with that verse right there in my personal life. Okay. Uh, 26, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. Been around people that just like to share all the gossip. And so he says, just like a fire, if you don't, if you don't put any wood on the fire, the fire's going to go out. Uh, there's no strife if you would just stop gossiping. If you, don't, if you just don't say anything, there's no strife. Okay? Uh, verse 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let me just, uh, just again by way of illustration. In chapel uh, a few months ago, I was talking about uh, life and matters of life and death. And in chapel, I said, specifically, my words were, there were people who woke up today that didn't know today was going to be their last day on earth. Later that night, Irene Memelar's husband died of a heart attack. Uh, she's a Spanish teacher at our school. Just, I mean, the, I said that, and that night he died. 
And I reminded the students of what I had said earlier that day that, you know, Jay Memelar woke up that Thursday morning, didn't realize it was going to be his last day on earth. Okay? And that's what he says here. Don't boast, don't talk about what's going to happen tomorrow because you don't even know what today is going to bring. Now, some people take that to extreme. My grandmother used to always say, you know, we would always try to get her to plan things. And she would say, I'm not planning anything because I don't know if I'm going to be here. Well, that's ridiculous. But anyways, uh, but you shouldn't boast about what's going to happen tomorrow because you don't even know what, uh, today, how today is going to end. Chapter 28, verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. 29 verse 4. The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. And in chapter 30 verse 5. Uh, where are we? Uh, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. There are people that uh, what they will do is they will read, because there's 31 Proverbs, they'll read one proverb, one chapter of Proverbs every day. Okay? And then you just repeat that every single month. And then the months that have 31 days, you pick up Proverbs 31, which talks about the attitude and the behavior of a very godly woman. Okay? Um, and. I can't say I do it every month, but there are months that I go through and I'll read one chapter of Proverbs every day. And it's amazing how uh, things that you encounter that day, there's wisdom that you had just read that morning from Proverbs. Okay, um, And so, Proverbs. Now, we are going to skip Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is a long outline and I couldn't get it to fit on the bottom here. And so we're going to jump forward to Song of Solomon. I don't know if while we begin when we begin to talk about Song of Solomon, if we should dismiss the unmarried folks at this time because it's uh, uh, there was a professor. I heard the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but there was a professor at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, who equated the Book of Song of Solomon with Playboy magazine. Uh, now, apparently he's no longer a professor there, which is, I'm glad to hear. Uh, Song of Solomon is a very great book, okay? It talks about intimacy, it talks about marriage, it talks about the marriage relationship and it, the elevation of it. The key verse of Song of Solomon is chapter 6, verse 3. Yeah, key verse, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. It says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. That's the idea here, is that it is a uh, very intimate relationship uh, between two individuals in the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, brief outline of Song of Solomon, number one, is the king courts his bride. And that's from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 5. The king courts his bride. How many of you remember back, uh, ladies, back when you were dating? Uh, 
he bought you flowers, and he wrote you notes, and he got you cards. Remember any of those days? No. Yes? No? Okay. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, because what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to woo you, right? He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to see how sensitive and loving that he is. And then usually time wears on. You get used to each other. And then uh, when he buys you one flower, you just go all to pieces because he never does that for you anymore. Okay? Uh, so chapter one, ver chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 5, that's what the king is doing here. He's, he's courting his bride. He's uh, getting her attention. And uh, you see several different characters in here. Uh, one is the Shulamite. That's the, the woman that the king is uh, pursuing. Uh, the daughters of Jerusalem, they're kind of the chorus uh, that flew in here. Um, and so just the conversation that they have going back and forth. Chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 5, verse 1, the king claims his bride. Okay, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Okay, and then chapter 5, verse 2, all the way through chapter 8. The king communes with his bride. And of course, when you read this, you uh, realize that it is a different time in which he is uh, writing and speaking about his, uh, his spouse and his loved one. When we read some of it last week at the end, uh, some of those descriptions that he uses of his, his bride about how her hair comes down like the goats traveling from the mountains and her teeth are like the ewes who go down to drink and not one of them is missing, which is always a good thing. Um, and uh, my favorite one was her neck is like uh, the tower of the city and you know, and that's why I said she must have had a really long neck. At, uh, so, uh, and so all these descriptions that he uses uh, about his spouse and his, uh, the one in whom he loves. Now, when we come to the Song of Solomon, there are several different ways that people try to interpret the Song of Solomon. The first one is allegory. And what they say is the book, the, the, book, the song, song of Solomon, is just simply an allegorical book in which they, it typifies uh, uh, some important relationships. Some say that it's a, uh, an allegory between God and Israel, and God being the king and Israel being the Shulamite lady in the book, and how God pursued after this people uh, that he had redeemed. Some people say it's between Jesus. Jesus and the church. It's just allegorical between Jesus and the church and the love that Jesus has for the church. Some say that it's allegorical between Christ and the individual believer, that God, that, that Jesus loves 
each and every one of us individually and, and this is just allegory that, that it's describing here. Now the problem with that is that there really isn't uh, any schools of thought in which many people agree with one another. If, if they believe it's allegory, they, there's really not a whole lot of people that agree with one another and each as many different ideas as they have is how many different allegories there are. Some people say that it is a drama. Okay, that the Song of Solomon is just a drama, just like a TV show that you turn on and watch once a week, that it has characters and, you know, it's kind of like a play, it's a production, it's, a, it's just simply a song, it's just simply a poem. They really, uh, somebody sat down like, you know, somebody like Shakespeare, like that, just sat down and, and just penned this great poem or this great song. Now, the last one is probably the camp that I fall in, and that is, it's a literal description. What is happening here is a literal description of two actual people, King Solomon and his love of his life. And what is happening here is in this book, God elevates marriage and the physical intimacy that happens within the bounds of marriage. Okay, and so what we're seeing here is an actual real life love story. Okay, that it's it's true to heart, and these are things that they said and they thought about one another. And again, it it, it is you know sometimes you read through here and you know it makes you want to blush or something like that. Uh, but it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it means to be intimate with your spouse. Okay, and. Uh, God designed physical intimacy. Uh, God designed us male and female to relate to one another in this way. And, and so right here what we see is God, uh, how he elevates marriage. And this is the second most important relationship that people will have in their lives. Number one is my relationship with God. Number two is my relationship with my spouse. Number three is my relationship with my children. Okay, uh, anytime Beth and I are hugging, Holden always tries to kind of get in the middle, and I always push him away. And he's like, "Why? Why can't I get in there?" And I look at him and I jokingly, but seriously, tell him, "I chose to be with her. I got stuck with you." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very common, and I see it so oftentimes that there is one or two parents that elevate their children to that second most important relationship. But in all seriousness, I chose her. And if I had to do all over again, I would choose her again. Okay? plays with the child and doesn't pay any attention mm -hmm. to the mother. Yeah. And if he will reverse that and go in and spend time with the mother and put the child aside, it it levels out that child's behavior because that child feels secure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, my children are very important to me, and I am called to be a steward of my children. And notice the difference in the relationship. I'm called to be a steward of my children. I'm called to be the protector of my wife. Okay, uh, and God uses that illustration between Christ and the church for husband and wife. As as Christ loved the church, so I'm to love 
my wife. I'm not called to love my children that same way. Now, I'm, in no way am I diminishing the relationship that a that a parent should have with their children. In no way am I doing that. But I am saying that the second most important relationship in my life is my relationship with my wife. Okay, and if I get that out of order, I'm going to lose my whole family. Okay, um, and so. And again, I just I say it jokingly to Holden, but there is some seriousness to that. That uh, I didn't actually choose him. I mean, God blessed me with him, if you want to consider it that. <laughs> uh, but I act, I chose to be with her. Okay, and so the the difference there, and and that's what I think Song of Sol. I think that's why God put Song of Solomon in here, is for us to understand the importance of that relationship. And the importance of being intimate with that person and to love that person and to pursue that person and to cherish that person that God has uh, allowed me to be married to. So uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time reading through Song of Solomon. You can do that on your own time with your, uh, with your spouse if you would like. Um, but it is a, a great great illustration, not an illustration, but a great picture of what it means to uh, have an intimate relationship with your spouse. Okay, yes, someone says. I think a point can be made also that in the case of like when, when people lose their spouses, mm -hmm. that uh, God steps in as the husband figure only in a different sense, not in the intimacy that mm -hmm. you see here, but the intimacy that God can have. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they've lost that one half of mm -hmm. themselves, and there's a lot of people yeah. who fit in that category, and there's also a lot of people who fit in the category of not ever getting married. You mm -hmm. know, they don't have yeah. that intimacy at all because they but they still love God and, yeah. and want to be a a part of his of him. Well, when we were in college, uh, we always called that the gift. <laughs> we always we always called singleness the gift. If if God had called somebody to be single for their entire life, that was a tremendous. That was not a tremendous gift, but that was a gift you had to have. Okay, uh, because there are some that God has uh, just simply one of the most God. I used to work for him, uh, hanging drywall. Really great godly guy. Never got married his entire life, but loved the Lord with all of his heart and served the Lord and. Uh, you know all those things but that's why I say that that has my relationship with God has to supersede my relationship with my spouse because if if Beth were to get that relationship out of order and make the relationship with me more important than a relationship with God as great as I am <laughs> you didn't have to laugh at that <laughs> okay as great as I am I'm gonna let her down I'm gonna mess up I'm gonna blow it I'm a knucklehead Okay, uh, sometimes I'm going to chase after foolishness, and if that if the relationship with the Lord isn't first, then she's going to lose everything. Okay, and then you know, back to your point, like if one spouse were to die, and if that was my number one relationship, then I'm, my life is going to fall apart. Yeah. Your life will fall apart. Is that what you say? Yeah. If I don't make God number one and my spouse is number one, and I lose my spouse for something. Where am I going to turn? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Gotcha. So God, spouse, children. There's your premarital counseling for tonight. <laughs> God, spouse, children.
All right, Ecclesiastes. Um, found 28 times in Ecclesiastes is the phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. He says over and over again in Ecclesiastes, under the sun. Actually, the first place we see it is verse 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to start reading verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And of course, we know that to be Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Okay, and... So, under the sun, we see that over and over again. So, the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 7, we see that he is looking for meaning. He is looking for meaning. And in each of these seven chapters, you can see different things that he looks to for meaning. In chapter 1, he's, uh, he discovers that he doesn't find meaning in wisdom. Okay, so he tries to look to wisdom for meaning, but uh, he doesn't find it in wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 17, after he's done this search for meaning through wisdom, he says, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. So he looked to wisdom. He said, maybe if I can just get enough knowledge, enough education, there'll be meaning in my life. And he says, it's like grasping at the wind. You can't, you can't hold on to it. Yeah, I have all this wisdom, but wisdom in and of itself has no meaning. Okay? Uh, not, he doesn't find it in pleasure in chapter 2. It's not in pleasure. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, I said to my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. In chapter 2, verse 4, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Verse, well, let me just read the rest of it. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. I did all these things. I, I tried to pursue pleasure. I built all these things to make my to satisfy my flesh, and I found no meaning in those. Okay, chapter three. Uh, not even in living itself. I didn't get the word for one oh, and two. Number one is wisdom, not in wisdom. Number two is not in pleasure. Okay. Well, number, three number three is not in living. <coughs> to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down. Uh, see, uh, who was it? The Beatles? Not the Beatles. Who was it? Samuel Gorfman. 
They're the ones who sang this? Okay. They're not the ones who wrote this. It was Solomon. Okay. I don't know anything about music. Okay, so they, he's, he just simply says, I just looked through life and I just did the normal things of life. And you come to verse uh, 19 and 20. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all who are from the dust, and all return to dust. And so he says, I tried to find meaning in just living life. And you know what the end is? We all die. There's no meaning in that. He's saying, he's saying, in all this, raising a family, doing all the things I'm supposed to do, working a job, what meaning is there? I'm just going to die in the end anyways. Okay? So he says, well, we're going to get there. Hold on to that. Okay? Uh, and then number four, not in philosophy. So he said, well, let me sit down and just ponder all these things and think through all these things and gaze at my belly button a long time. <laughs> and in verse 16, he says, there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity in grasping for the wind. He says, there's not even meaning in religion in verse 5. Not in religion, or chapter 5. Walk prudently, in verse 1, when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Okay, And then you jump down to verse 7, and his uh, synopsis is all this, is for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. So even in the, the, the religiosity of life, there's no meaning. Now, I just use that term religion different than Christianity, okay? Just going through the religious rituals of life, there's no meaning, okay? If all I do is just go to church, if all I do is just give money in the offering, if all I just do is these ritual things, these religious things, there's no meaning in them, okay? Uh, chapter 6, he says, I don't even find it in wealth, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? So he says, I can receive all this money. And you know what happens? I die. Proverbs says you die and leave it to a fool. <laughs> yes, yes, typically, yes. <laughs> And then he says in chapter 7, he doesn't find meaning even in reputation. In verse 15. Reputation. Reputation. I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. So he said, here's a man who does everything right. And he dies. And here's a man who does everything wicked, but yet he seems to live longer. And so he says, what's the meaning of being a person of reputation and having a good name? We all die. Okay? And then we come to chapter 8. And instead of looking for meaning, chapters 8 through 12, he finds meaning. 
finding meaning. Finding meaning. He finds meaning, first of all, in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, he finds meaning by obeying God. Obey God. Chapter 8, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. So he says, even though this wicked guy lives to be uh, a ripe old age, it's still better for those who fear God, even if they die young. Okay, so obey God. He says there's meaning in wisdom when it's in relationship to God. In chapter 9, verse 15. There's wisdom in doing what? Just wisdom is what I put. Now these are, these are all in relationship to knowing the Lord. Okay, So finding meaning, when I say these things, they're all in relationship to knowing the Lord. So wisdom that comes from God. Chapter 9, verse 15. Now there was found in it a... So he's talking about... A, let me just go back. Verse 13. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Okay? So what he's saying here, he's saying wisdom is better than to have a great army. Of course, we find that wisdom ultimately through a relationship with Christ. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 6, diligence. 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 And, and again, this is in relationship to knowing the Lord. Uh, I do what I do, or I do what I can do, and allow Lord, the Lord to do what only He can do. So in chapter 11, verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And then finally, chapter 12, verse 1, Seek God. Seek God. Chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. My mom, uh, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but my mom said this, not me. Okay, She said, uh, she said this a few years ago, she said, the only thing golden about my golden years is my pee. <laughs> here, here Solomon says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Okay, when you get old and the aches and the pains and uh, sickness and disease, he said, remember your Creator from the days of your youth. Because that's what you're going to have to hold on to. When life draws to its end, well, the, thing, the only thing we have to hold on to is God Himself because my reputation is going to be dead when I'm dead. My money, I can't take it with me. Uh, philosophy, the wisdom, the education that I've spent so much money on to attain, it's all going to be, it's all going to be for naught because I'm going to be dead. 
But here he says, remember the Creator from your youth. And then finally, the climax of the entire book is the last two verses of the book. The right, Solomon here, he's, he's looked around, and everything he's looked around is under the sun. He said, I looked to history, I looked inside me, I looked around me, I looked behind me, I looked ahead of me. And now finally, in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 12, he looks up above the sun. Everything else has been below the sun, under the sun. And he says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He spent all these verses trying to find us out, and he concludes it in two verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is all, man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he says the whole matter just boils down to this. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is all we can do. And it's all that's going to matter in the end. Alright, very quickly... Um, I want to just go back to Proverbs chapter 25 and in the book of Proverbs talk just very quickly about self-control. Chapter 25 verses 25 through 28. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like, murky, like a murky spring in a polluted well. It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's glory is not glory. Whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So he's talking about self-control here. Uh, number one, with self-control we can manage our anxiety. We can manage our anxiety. In verse 25, he says, As cold water to a rear soul, so is good news from a far country. Now think about how long it took for news to travel during the days of Solomon from a far country. It's not like he could turn on CNN or look up on the internet or find out instantaneously what's going on in the other side of the country. In order for him to find the news, this person had to usually travel on foot days, weeks, months, sometimes in the case years. Okay? Imagine the anxiety if this is news that, you know, Pastor Dean's waiting to hear back a report. Uh, and so the anxiety that builds just when you don't have any information. And so here he says, as cold water to over your soul, so is good news from a far country. When I have self-control, I understand that God's in charge. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. I can wait and I can be patient. And when the news arrives, when the good news arrives, it's like cold water to a weary soul. Uh, number two, with self-control, we can maintain our testimony. When you and I have self-control, it maintains our testimony. In verse 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Water, of course, in this, these days was, was very important. Uh, it was sometimes hard to find water. In no way would you want to drink bad water. And so he says a righteous man who has, doesn't have self-control, if he doesn't have self-control, he falls. And when he falls in front of unrighteous people, he is just like someone who's going to drink water and they find it to be polluted. Because a righteous man is to be refreshing water to those who... You know, just like the sermon this morning, uh, those who thirst for righteousness should be able to find good water. A righteous man who falls before the wicked is like a polluted well. He's like murky water. He's dirty water that they would not want to drink. 
Okay? Uh, with self-control, we can, number three, monitor our pride. Monitor our pride. Our pride, yes. It is not good to eat much honey. So to seek one, one's glo own glory is not glory. Uh, great story is, uh, I love cookie dough. Like, I don't like cookies. Yeah, Seth knows what I'm talking about. Cookie, cookies are not as good as cookie dough, right? And uh, so there has been times where I've just bought cookie dough with the intention of just eating the cookie dough, okay? I have no intention of making cookies. I just want to eat the dough. So one of these times, I had the dough in the freezer, and Beth and I were gone. It was one of the early times in which we let Hope stay at home with Holden by themselves. We came home, and Hope's like, oh, I don't feel good. And we went and found, and she had eaten the entire thing of cookie dough. No wonder she didn't feel good, okay? And the warning on it, do not eat. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that. They just have to write that, okay? I've been doing it all my life. It never made me sick. Yet. Now I'm not <laughs> it's like that warning they put on cigarettes may cause cancer, you know. <laughs> um, have you ever tried cookie dough? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried the cookie dough? Yes, and I know. I like chocolate chip cookies yeah. too. So, those of you who like cookie dough, you could substitute uh, cookie dough for the word honey in here. It is not good to eat much cookie dough, okay? Because it's going to make you sick, right? Right? You're, you're not going to feel well if you eat a whole lot of cookie dough. But it, yes. <laughs> And he compares that to a person who is prideful. Too much pride makes everyone sick. I always say pride is the one disease that makes everyone sick except for the person who has it. <laughs> okay? And so he equates that. He says the person who's going to eat a lot of honey, they're not going to feel, you know, the old Winnie the Pooh stories. When, when Winnie the Pooh ate too much honey, he didn't feel good afterwards. <laughs> so to seek one's own glory is not glory. It's going to make you sick person with self-control is going to understand they're going to monitor their pride. Okay? And then number four, a person with self-control will mind their souls. Verse 28, whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. What does the walls do for the city? It protects it, right? If, if the cities are torn, if the walls are torn down, the city is going to be infiltrated. It's going to be overthrown. It's going to be overrun. In the same way, he says, a person who does not have self-control over a spirit, he's going to be overrun. He's going to get defeated. He's going to lose the battle. Self-control is so important uh, because it's going to protect you. It's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your life. Uh, and it's going to protect your soul. That word so self-control. Because we have no control over self as it is. Yes. Uh, we can only have self-control when Christ has control of myself. Yes. Uh, who, it was Rick Warren said one time, uh, he said we ought to, instead of saying the words uh, uh, self Self-will or self-self-will. He said it ought to be called self-won't, <laughs> because we we don't in our own flesh we don't have control. Uh, it's only when we allow Christ to reign in us and allow Him to control us that we have that control.